So welcome back to the NeuroClinic podcast. We've had a deep clean, we've been in quarantine, and we're ready to welcome Professor John Evans as a very special guest. He talks about his entry into neuropsychology, his movement into clinically oriented research, and an international perspective on clinical neuropsychology practice. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, John Evans. It's nice to see you. Hello, England. It's nice to be here. So thank you for agreeing to join us in the neuro clinic, as we call it. Um, and as is conventional, I think you're going to start by introducing yourself. Uh, happy to do that. Yeah. So uh, I am John Evans, as you said. Uh, so I'm Professor of Applied Neuropsychology at the University of Glasgow. And I'm an honorary uh, consultant clinical psychologist in NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde. Thank you, John. Um, I guess one of the questions that's come up quite a bit on these podcasts is how people got into neuropsychology. Do you, mm. do you have a story about how you got into neuropsychology? Um, well, yeah, so I was very fortunate that when I was training, so I did the, um, a very long time ago, did the British Psychological Service uh, Society in-service training course in, in Wessex. Um, so I had the opportunity to do a, a placement with Barbara Wilson, um, who was in Southampton at the time, so in a sense, that was my first introduction to uh, neuropsychology um, and people like Narinda Kapoor was also down in Southampton and Michelle Smith. Um, and so I had, a, I had a really good introduction to neuropsychology while I was training as a clinical psychologist, um, which I suppose was, yeah, definitely got me hooked. Um, and from there, moved, when Barbara moved to work in Cambridge at the MRC, uh, applied psychology unit as it was then, cognition and brain sciences unit as it is now. Um, I ended up moving um, to uh, to Cambridge. Yeah, although I, only just only just the, the how I ended up there was that that certainly was an interesting um, story and one of those moments of uh, luck and fate um, colliding. Um, I can tell you that if you want to tell you how that happened. Well, I'm interested. You now you've got me interested, John. Could you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, so I, after finishing my uh, clinical psychology training, um, I travelled for six months with my wife, as she is now. We were both trainees, um, and we were so we were travelling. So I didn't have a, a job lined up when I came back. I just went off and travelled, um, and we had got on our travels as far as um, Bangkok, and it was it happened to be. Um, Easter weekend, not, not in Bangkok, but in, back in the UK. And I'd gone to, uh, you can tell how long ago this was, to get um, mail. And we, we had to go to the, the post office and pick up our letters from the post restaurant service. Um, and so we picked up our letters and I opened a, a one letter. And it was a letter from, the first one was actually was from my mother who explained that somebody called Barbara Wilson had had somehow got in touch with her to ask where I might be because um, Barbara had moved to Cambridge by this time and had a job um, and she thought I might be interested so she was trying to contact me anyway. So the next letter I opened was actually a letter from from Barbara and so Barbara explained that she had a job as her assistant there and um, if I was interested I should uh, contact her to apply and I noticed as I read down that the the deadline for uh, applications happened to be the day I was reading the uh, letter. Um, it happened to be Easter Sunday and I was in Bangkok. Uh, so I thought, thought about it for a while and thought I would really like to apply for this job. 
Um, now Barbara had put her telephone number on the on the on the letter. Uh, she'd recently moved to um, to Suffolk, so I thought, okay, I'm going to try and ring ring Barbara. So Julie trotted over to the to the international well to the. To, post office which had um, phones uh, and I tried and tried to call couldn't couldn't connect um, and I was just about to give up and that was that would have been it I would have lost the opportunity just about to give up and then as I was walking out of the the, the office the post office saw these there were some um, call boxes and they had um, international calls on them I thought okay well let, let me give this a try but of course the only way you could actually make these international calls was by reversing the charges, so my um, calls. <laughs> so there I am in Bangkok on Easter Sunday, and I I phoned Barbara, and uh, Barbara's husband Mick answered the phone, who I who I didn't know at the time, and so I could hear Mick answering the phone, and the operator saying, "John Evans is calling from Bangkok. Will you accept the charges?" And again, very fortunately. Uh, Mick uh, accepted the, the call and so I could then quickly explain and um, spoke to Barbara and said I would like to apply for the for the job um, and so then um, managed to have an interview on my return and and get the job so uh, I, I see this as a as a particularly unusual uh, moment in my my career where it could have gone it could have gone either way I was multiple ways in which that could have gone wrong for you John and scuppered your career in neuropsychology but thankfully you are a neuropsychologist and apart from the people that you've mentioned I presume provided some inspiration do you remember what it was about neuropsychology itself that that got you hooked um yeah I think I think it was the um I suppose there are so many elements to the, the, the clinical psychology work with people with different sort of neurological brain conditions and so on. I think I was intrigued by the, the brain behavior uh, stuff, uh, you know, the, the, and I guess intrigued by, you know, having the opportunity to meet people who had unusual, uh, you know, conditions and therefore unusual experiences of, of the world. And that was that was striking, you know. Meeting meeting people with you know an amnesic syndrome, or meeting people. I remember the first time I met somebody with a really striking um, uh, visual agnosia, and just being, you know, just finding that, that, yes. that just just fascinating, um, intriguing, and um, and then working with someone like Barbara, I suppose, just that opportunity to to think about rehabilitation and actually thinking about how you know, both understanding these these sort of uh, interesting and unusual conditions and then thinking how you know how do we how do we help people to, to manage these in, in in their everyday lives and so that combination and I think I've always uh, you know I've very much was been a, a a clinical psychologist in the broadest sense at, at heart and so that that opportunity to think about the the, the psychological impact of of um, brain injury and brain conditions on on people's lives and how people cope psychologically as well as neuropsychologically and cognitively, if you like. And and so I think I've always I've maintained that interest in in very much the psychological and the cognitive um, uh, in in people's lives throughout my career. And this might not be a, a fair question, John, because it wasn't one of the sort of list of topics that we were going to discuss. But I'm interested in what you just said there about clinical psychology and neuropsychology and the breadth, you know, perspective that clinical psychology brings as a foundation for neuropsychology training as we do it in the, in, in the UK. Mm. Uh, do you have a 
particular view or way of thinking about what what clinical psychology brings or what clinical psychologists who are interested in neuropsychology bring to the sort of neuropsychological workforce? Um, yeah, so I think I think it's very much about you know I suppose thinking of thinking very you know in as clinical psychology we're, we're very much trained to think about psychological processes and, and and how those impact on people's emotions and their and their thinking and their and their everyday lives and 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 I suppose that aspect is I guess traditionally is, is sort of less slightly less a part or has been less a part of of what you might call call sort of central neuro, neuropsychology but I think when you work in in a rehabilitation context then I think you you know the there's such an emphasis on the integration of of those psychological processes, the, the emotional processes, the the cognitive processes, and it's that bringing those together. You know, I, I obviously we established the the Oliver's Angle Centre, and and that was very much framed as a holistic neuropsychological rehabilitation centre. And so when you know, I've never been that keen on the term holistic, other than that, actually it it's um. It, it nicely brings this idea that actually in neuropsychological rehabilitation, you're always, always, always trying to um, think about the, the psychological, the, 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 the cognitive. That, that's what I think of as neuropsychological, if you like. Yes. Um, and, and, and approaching those from a therapeutic point of view simultaneously and in an integrated way. And that's, that's, yes. that's what I think of neuropsychological rehabilitation. And so I think just, you know, coming from that, that, that clinical, uh, you know, I had very good um, teachers of, of clinical psychology. You know, I, I, I did my research as a trainee with um, Glenis Parry, who was what was just one of the yes. UK, you know, really inspiring um uh, psychotherapists and and so i had that that background and, and was bringing that to, to neuropsychology i suppose with me and so i've kept that you know throughout my career and i, th I think one thing that's come through strongly in the conversations we've had at people that sort of who have an emerging interest in neuropsychology but are training as clinical psychologists or have aspirations to train as clinical psychologists is there's a desire to kind of maintain that sort of breadth of career pathways and not sort of become too siloed in the way that you think about what it is that you've got to offer within a within a service but to but to maintain interest in clinical psychology and psychotherapy and as it's applied to individuals who may have neurological conditions absolutely yes because in a sense you know people with neurological conditions present with and, and experience whole, the whole raft of of difficulties and i think it's you know it's a bit doing psychological work needs to be informed by understanding brain and cognition yes. but similarly doing neuropsychological work needs to be informed by an understanding yes. of psychological and emotional and emotional processes so yes. I, I think we can't separate them and you know i guess the people that we work with have have that you know a layer of complexity that that you know you know everybody's complex in different ways but in a sense it's very you know strikingly complex in that in that um you know the the the, the patterns and the different sort of nature of the of the neuro the neuropsychological or the cognitive difficulties that somebody may have as well as the and then the interaction with the psychologicals thank you john there's one sort of question in terms of we talked about how you got into neuropsychology by reversing the charges essentially i don't know if you've continued to play that play that game but um we're not reversing the charges today <laughs> um i i i 
I wondered about your current orientation. I mean, how would you describe your sort of current research interests in neuropsychology? <laughs> I was thinking about this before we were talking, and because uh, I knew you were going to ask, but um, and I, I suppose eclectic is probably the uh, the, the, right. the word, uh, but eclectic in a positive. I like to think of it as in a positive way, rather than just somebody that doesn't focus particularly much. Um, and I suppose what I mean by that is, um, I suppose from both from from well from you know from the research that I do, I, I've been interested because exactly for the for all the reasons that i that i've uh, explained i've been interested in in an assessment so i've been involved in i had the opportunity to be involved in the development of assessment tools um latterly i've also um been doing quite a lot of work with colleagues in in different parts of the world in thinking about um uh, adaptation and development and adaptation of of neuropsychological tests for in contexts in which um, you know tests don't, you know, not many tests exist. So working with colleagues in in India, in Thailand, in Saudi Arabia, and different places, and so that that sparked an interest in in sort of cross cultural neuropsychology and uh, the challenges of, of 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 taking neuropsychology into into new places, but in a way that actually is makes sense for the for the context, for the cultural and linguistic context in which that's happening, and um, so there's lots of really interesting and, and, and important and, and issues and things to get right that don't always go, you know, aren't always done right. But um, uh, so I think that's one thing. Um, I, I've been interested in, in applications of, of different psychological therapies in the context of, of brain injury. So uh, I had particular interest in, in positive psychology and its application. And we developed a, a psychological intervention sort of based around, around positive psychotherapy um, approaches um, and then things like applications of technology so reminding technology so going back obviously I had I was able to work on the the neuropage work that we did back in, yeah. in the sort of 90s and early 2000s um, in in really thinking about how we how we we can make much better use of sort of uh, of technology in supporting people with memory attention and executive impairments and so that's been a, a strand of work and we I still do still do that work um now um and and yeah so i, I guess thinking about cognitive you know sort of cognitive rehabilitation particularly rehabilitation of of attention executive memory i suppose has been the has been the theme we're we're doing trials at the moment running um integrating uh cognitive uh, training in the classic sort of working memory updating training with goal management training um so uh katarina papa is doing a phd with with myself and Kristen Flegel and Satu Bailan at the moment and, and developing that, that intervention. So it's a sort of, I, I suppose, like that's what I meant by eclectic, quite a, a sort of... Well, I was going to ask you about, about, about eclecticism, John. It's often, it's often used critically, isn't it, to describe yeah. someone, I mean, you sort of alluded to this, it's someone who might not have a sort of clear, narrow focus. And it's, I suppose what it seems to me that you've managed to achieve, but is 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 making a success of that I mean, do, but do you think it's always advisable to be eclectic in terms of how you pursue a sort of academic research career no you're shaking your head <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think it's always advisable um it's, it's tricky isn't it it depends i mean i think i think um uh, some of the some of the best researchers in the world are are very focused and so and i think that there, yes. there are many advantages to that uh, many many advantages i think um but I suppose for me, it comes, 
it, it comes from that, from being a clinician in a sense and, and those clinical roots and, and thinking, look, these these things are important and uh, I think they need doing and, and wanting to do, you know, wanting to, to get on and do them and being interested in them. Um, yes. I think that, um, I think it also comes from running a program, to be honest, Ingram as well, in yeah. terms of teaching and yeah. knowing that, I, you know, I want to ensure that the the, the, the people that we're training are, are getting a broad, a broad experience, broad knowledge. And I, I think that therefore, in a sense, takes me into, into um, not, not that I, I, don't, I teach some of the things on the course, not everything by a long way. Yes, but, yes. Um, but because, because I, cover a few different uh, areas on on the course um partly from the things that i've i've been doing but in, in a sense it keeps you um interested in those areas and wanting to wanting to sort of develop them and and, and pass them on to um people that are doing the training one of the things you mentioned earlier john in terms of your research interests was the sort of sort of cultural aspects of say developing tests so that it can be used in in sort of diverse circumstances mm-hmm. um one of the things i wanted to talk to you about today was the sort of international focus of your work your, your mm-hmm. sort of endeavor the sort of um um professional aspects of that um, mm-hmm. um could you tell us about the ins the international neuropsychology society what what is the ins <laughs> yeah sure so the ins is as you say the international neuropsychology society so it's um it's a, a neuropsychology uh, organization um it's it is international it's it's I guess it's the largest of its membership is in the is in the US. It's 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 had a, a fairly sort of US um, focus to it because of the the, the the so many of the members are are, are in the US. But it, it for for a long time and I think increasingly the INS is developing a a, a more sort of global outlook and yes. um, and is is you know the lots of the um, work that's going on as as sort of focused on trying to support the development of neuropsychology around the world. So one of the things I've been doing the last few years is within INS, we have a, a, a global engagement committee, it's called. Um, and again, I, I think in, in some senses that probably emerged initially from the INS being uh, very much a, a US sort of based organization, but wanting to, to look outside. In one sense now, of course, it is it is an international organization. There are members from all over the world. Um, but um, the, the Global Engagement Committee is really trying to support the development of, of neuropsychology in places where it's less well less well developed. Um, so we have, for example, we've sort of reinvigorated what's called the Matthews Fund, um, and the Matthews Fund is um, uh, something which um, pe- members can can donate to, um, and we uh, organize it funds workshops um, in again in in places where neuropsychology is less well developed as sort of a focus on sort of low and middle income countries, but not just countries, but any, 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 any country where neuropsychology is not so, not so well developed and st- sort of stimulating workshops where international faculty can um, be funded to provide workshops. Uh, so in, in recent years, we've had uh, workshops in, in India, in Thailand, in, in the most recent one was run in, in Botswana. Um, so m- members on the, on the ground, if you like, will coordinate with, colleagues from uh, elsewhere and and, and, and provide that and you know, get the funding to, to to run workshops with that just it's a small you know it's a small it's a small thing in terms of that developing neuropsychology but hoping to you know inspire people um uh, and provide sort of knowledge information and tools and and access to information that to, to sort of 
yeah, just to encourage and support the development. So that that, that so would, it, would it be would it be fair to characterize that as sort of campaigning work? Um, hmm. campaigning may, maybe I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I would I would. I would um, but it, but I suppose certainly... I was wondering when I, when I when I thought about asking you about the INS. I mean, I suppose that that that. that what I've enjoyed about INS membership is that is the excellent conferences that 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 the INS puts on. Yes, you're right. So I, I, guess I, suppose, I guess what what many people will know about the INS is yes. uh, that they they've been to some excellent conferences. They've been able to access the CE workshops, etc. That are, are tremendously beneficial. And I think in terms of the way that they're delivered, there's a generosity I think that comes, you know, from the INS in terms of making sure that those programs are increasingly accessible and i suppose especially during the sort of covid restrictions it's something that i guess a number of people will have come across yeah so the, absolutely the 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 sort of the two conferences here so there's one in in the in the states in uh, in february and then one somewhere else around the world and it moves around the world uh in in the middle of the year usually july and of course we've just had that conference since that's been in it was in australia just a few days ago uh and uh was supposed to be in in melbourne but uh, ended up having to go fully online it was going to be a hybrid yeah, conference but uh went on went fully online um and they made a fantastic success of it yes. um under really really challenging circumstances with ten, something like 10 days notice to switch from hybrid to fully online um yes. so it was a it was a huge achievement so yes yeah, so ins provides those two conferences yes that's its sort of core core business i guess but uh, so we do, you know, it, it does other th- it does other things. So one of the recent developments actually is the emergence of, of special interest groups. So now there's quite a large number of, of special interest groups within INS, sort of giving people the opportunity to come together in terms of, again, say, on, you know, the fantastic thing about um, the the increased use of uh, Zoom as we're using today um, and, and other platforms is that, that opportunity to bring people together. Um, so, for example, one of the special interest groups is that it was a was a COVID nineteen a neuropsychology sort of interest group, yes. um, and I participated in that. And um, you know that's that's produced a, a, a paper looking at trying to think about harmonisation of neuropsychological t- assessments that would be used for studies in in this case in COVID nineteen. But I think I suppose it's a reflection of one of the things that you know, that we have the potential to do through that sort of international collaborations are to do things like get together and say, look, be trying to think about using consistent tools and and what tools should those be. Um, Maybe that will uh, allow us to produce research in from different places, which is easier to, to bring together, um, to meta analyze, if you like, to bring, to bring together and actually we'll, 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 um, end up with stronger sort of stronger evidence base for um, whatever the nature of conditions or interventions and so on. So I think those opportunities come from from that. And there are, you know, there are great things going on around the world. And we are getting better, I think, at, at having that opportunity to bring that knowledge together through, you know, through contact and, and people working together. Um, and th- this is one one venue for doing that. One one question I wanted to ask you is about, you know, the, how the international perspective helps us. I mean, I suppose that maybe isn't the, quite the right way to frame the question, but I suppose, you know, whether we're looking at, you know, the fees that we might choose to 
page, the, the British Psychological Society or the INS. I'm just wondering, how do you think an international perspective helps us as neuropsychologists? What does it, what does it bring to our practice, our view of the world, our view of the discipline? Um, well, I think the first thing is sort of recognition that that there are different ways of doing things and different approaches and different views um, around around the world. Um, so I think that uh, I, I think you know, in a sense, we have. I think I guess organisations like them it, it sort of bring people together. So we've all you know, everyone has access to to knowledge through through journal papers, through through you know that through through that that sort of medium. But I, I guess belonging to an organisation brings people together and i think that um that 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 then um i guess it inspires if you you know in a sense there is there's that element of of reading you know you you can go off and read but you you actually i think if you know i was i was thinking about it in terms of the conference we we've just had the uh, the ins and then the um world federation for neuro rehab the neuropsych Rehab um, special interest group again that that follows on from the from the INS meeting that's been yes uh, today and yesterday and you know again that that's it's been amazing to just to hear people from some of the places in the world that are really doing great great work and where there's a real sort of um, momentum uh, and little pockets of fantastic work so in the neuroscience rehab field um, the there are some groups in Australia. Australia is just fantastic at, at, at neuroscience rehab, and um, in the Netherlands, and, uh, and of course in the UK. But, but yes, but but I think just you know, one of the great things is there are there are places where there are where there are pockets where there's you get that real sort of momentum from a, a critical mass, and I, and I think being able to to tap into that and to to hear those people and to and to listen to them and to and, and um, I think is. Yeah, it's inspiring, and, and I think it's it's sometimes easier than, than sort of trawling papers, if you like. So I think those those are the sort of benefits that I think I feel like I get certainly from you know making the time to listen to people, even if it's crazy hours in the morning. And, <laughs> and I suppose it, it it struck me having attended INS conferences and sort of benefited from that international perspective that it's liberating to think outside of the system that you work in as a clinician. So you know we're constrained by the resources in the UK, how the NHS funds certain things and doesn't fund other things. And I think there is something liberating about seeing how different systems operate and yeah. just what's possible. Absolutely. Well, if you go back to the like something like the Alexander Center and, and obviously you know, Barbara's experience, it was Barbara that 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 was inspired by a service um, in in Phoenix in Arizona that was originally established by George Prietano, is now run by uh, Pam Klonoff in in Phoenix. And again, that was in the tradition or the the, the emerging tradition that in a sense people like George Prietano were, were developing and uh, Yehuda Ben Yishe and, and and colleagues and, and that that idea of that holistic neuroscience rehab service. And you know we didn't we didn't have something as, as similar to that and. and Barbara spent time there, you know, and then came back again inspired, thinking, "Well, could we, could we um, do that?" Um, Barbara was actually just presenting at um, her presidential address at the conference the last couple of days, and was making the point that, you know, she she came back and wanted to wanted to do something like that here, but recognizing that it didn't exist within the the, the health service at the time, and but was encouraged um, or encouraged to sort of 
um, try to put a business case together, which he did. And three years later, a service emerged, if you like, and, 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 that, and, and it's sort of gone, gone from there. So I think that that opportunity to you know, spend time or to, uh, to hear or actually to really listen to how people are doing things differently, I think, uh, I think it can, yeah, it can transform what you do. And like I say, we, we all grow up in a particular tradition or a way of doing things. Yes. Uh, and, and sometimes it is that, that push to think, actually, you know, we, we, could, we could do more here, if you like. We do a bit, but we could do more or we could do it this way. And knowing that, knowing that it's done somewhere or something, you know, however difficult, I think that really helps if you've got a model or a sort of, hey, look, actually, under certain circumstances, this is possible. Yes. So, uh, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can make it happen. John, we, we've reached that lowbrow point in the podcast where people are beginning to um, wonder when, when they, I did, I did forewarn you that I'd, I'd spared Catherine Carpenter this quiz on the, on, on, on the, on the grounds that, that I, well, I don't know on what grounds, but maybe I'll come back to her with a, with a quiz, but I said that I wasn't going to let you off the hook. Mm. So, you know, these are forced choice questions that are yeah. essentially nonsense, but will reveal something about you. <laughs> So the first choice is attention or executive. You can't have both. Executive. Uh, Luria or Nebraska? Luria. Mojito or Dorito? Mojito. (laughs) (laughs) That's my quickest answer. (laughs) Sourdough or rye? Um, Rye. Zoom or room? Zoom. Oh, well, no, sorry. Room, room, room. You change your mind there. That's yeah, revealing. Twitter yeah. or LinkedIn? Twitter. Netflix or iPlayer? iPlayer. Uh, here's a political one for you. INS or BPS? <laughs> that one Is that like, impossible? Is that like being asked, which one of your children yes, exactly. do you like the most? <laughs> Are you prepared to answer that one? No. <laughs> no, are you, are you? This is the first refuse. It's an unfair question. Here's, a, here's an easier one, John. Kilts or stilts? Kilts. Oh, there we are. So, so with the with the um, with that with that uh, penultimate question in mind, you've recently been elected as INS president. Mm. <laughs> are you prepared to talk about what your what your presidency will involve what does sure. it mean to be president of the ins what does it mean yeah well um one thing about being elected as, as president is, is you get a long run in so i'm um president elect but what that means is i don't have to be actually actually president for about another two years i think it is so um right so it's um sky mcdonald is this year so sky goes through to february next year and then after the february meeting ida sue baron who's from the us uh takes over for a year uh and then so it'll be february after the end of the ins meeting in february 2023 i take over so i will be president for the meetings in taiwan so we're going to have a meeting in taipei taiwan in the mid um, middle of the year um 2023 and then in new york in 20 february 2024 so when you're President, you are an assistant president covering a year, so which is two INS meetings. 
Um, we have a, a board of INS, there's a board of directors, um, which, uh, well, until recently, actually only met twice a year um, at those two meetings. But actually, again, one of the great things about, about Zoom is that we've now um, started to meet between, between those meetings. So the board of directors can meet more regularly. Um, and I think that actually is both necessary because actually INS is doing doing a lot more now, I think, and with all the different um, projects and developments. So it's doing, doing a lot more. Um, and so, yeah, it makes that, makes that possible. It's still very challenging having meetings like I'm sure everybody's had that thing about trying to do international meetings. And our last meeting, uh, our executive director, Mark Norman, is in San Diego and our president, current president, Sky McDonald, is in Sydney. And then everyone else is somewhere in between. So we have we have a meeting when Mark has to be up at 4 a.m. and Sky has to start the meeting at 9 p.m. Fortunately, Somehow I, I, I got off lucky and we tend to meet in the middle of the day as far as uh, for, for us in, in Central Europe. And, um, so, uh, yeah, so that's so the, the being president means that you will um, chair the, the, the board for uh, for a year um, and the meetings. And then I guess it's an opportunity to for me, it's an opportunity to continue to, to really sort of. Um, push and, and enable INS to do that work in, in supporting the development of neuropsych around, around the world. Since I've, as I was chair of the, the Global Engagement Committee, and that's now um, passed to Natalia Ajedo, who's in Spain. So she's taken on that role, and I'm really, really pleased because she's taken it on very enthusiastically and is, is really developing it uh, as well, which is great. So in a way, I think it's, um, and my sense, which is lots of, you know, a lot of people are, you know, I guess the nature of the people that get involved in, in INS is such that they're interest, interested in international um, issues. You yourself are, are gonna be, you know, involved in the, 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 the sort of looking at the, the Houston guidelines for, for the INS. Yes. Um, uh, so, which is, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, the Houston guidelines are basically the sort of guidelines which, which sort of um, and the, U, the U.S. clinical neuropsychology community uses to just sort of structure its training, I suppose. And and there's a rewrite of that going on. But what again, I think just as a, as a you know that those the Houston guidelines are, are the U.S. neuropsychologists writing things for yes. themselves. But, yes. but what's what's fantastic is you know, actually the, the people involved in that are saying, well, actually we'd quite like to, you know, um, uh, get, get people involved from, from other parts of the world if possible. And uh, hopefully we, you know, you, you as, uh, can, can bring uh, things from, from, the, from, from our perspective into, into, that, into the US process, but also it's a, it's a great opportunity for, you know, us to be, you know, thinking about what, you know, what are colleagues in the US thinking in terms of how neuropsych training should um, develop uh, going forward. And so, you know, we've got immediate access into that. So in a sense, it's through, I guess I see, you know, by, you know, there's an example, isn't it, where by, by, by me being <laughs> involved in and, and getting, getting involved in that, in that organization, it, it means that we can also do other things both here in the UK that, that connect us into particularly, you know, this, because the US is, is a big place and there are a lot of, a lot of, uh, and do you do you think? I mean, I, I suppose I I I don't personally need persuading of the sort of value of of having that kind of involvement and sort of engagement with an international perspective. But do you think do you think we have an issue in the UK with perhaps not being quite as internationally focused as we ought to be? Yeah, I mean, 
I wondered if we might be a little bit xenophobic, John, I suppose. Is what I, say. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think, um, I, I, yeah, I suppose I've, I've just always been interested in, in travel and places and, and people. So I think that's my, you know, I, I, I think I do a lot of that work because I just really enjoy, you know, that idea of sort of meeting, you know, and, and, and understanding how people are doing things differently uh, around the world. And um, so I think, I guess maybe we have that that issue that we, you know, we have a system that's really well established in one sense, and and so, you know, in one in one sense we don't we don't really need to, you know, you know there isn't a, there isn't a great pressure to look at, look outside because we have a we have a tradition we have you know we know that we have a, the UK has a strong academic and clinical tradition we have a strong yes. tradition of training you know we have a, a coherent sort of you know it's changing and developing and obviously certainly neuropsychology training is is really and continuing to 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 develop and change um so but um so in one sense i i can see that thing as we we don't we we, we don't need in one sense we there's no real pressure to look outside um however i, I think it's always interesting when you do um and recognizing that you know there are you know if you look to like i said look to what's what's happening in australia i mean i think one of the the, the perspectives that i th- i think is really important from 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 our point of view in in the uk is thinking about how we get better at at, at sort of clinical academic research and, and so on so uh, and you know I, I just think we there there it's something that 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 is a feature i think of the of the of the of the health service and the pressures on on and everybody working in the health service that you know it's the usual thing doing research is is difficult in a in a, in a clinical job um but what we want is and, and you know again the uk has a really strong tradition of 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 you know cognitive neuroscience and and that that aspect of neuro, neuropsychology but what we what we still need and still need more of is is the is the clinical clinical neuropsychology neuropsychological rehabilitation research which is really really embedded in in clinical work clinical problems and so on but 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 strong academically and 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 to, to you know to to influence the the evidence base to change the guidelines to you know improve um, practice both here and you know around the world and some places are are doing that better than better than us I think um, uh, and it's, yeah. it's been it's been striking you mentioned the revision of the Houston Conference guidelines I mean looking around the table. So I envied the, the 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 research trajectories that people have clearly managed to to get going in, in terms of the you know the colleagues in the in the states, and I think that that starts with their training, doesn't it? And it's part of it's an intrinsic part of the of clinical practice in neuropsychology. Yes, it, it is. I mean, I, I'm sure there are lots of lots of people that you know uh, again end up not doing you know research in the, in the US as yeah. well but 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 I, I think because there is there is there is quite a strong focus on on, on research and and I guess just the, the number of people um and the number of universities the number of uh, and so on so you know inevitably there's there's more but but I do think there's something about trying to really hang on to that 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 sort of you know to keep and to stimulate and encourage um, you know, research more because it's you know, and I think lots of people have said that. You know, I think when I've worked in in clinical services, where you know where you where research is happening, I think it's it's stimulating, it's interesting, it keeps keeps things fresh, and um, and it and it helps to keep people in jobs. I think in terms of that, you know, because it's an interesting to stay if you're part of that um, to stay in that. So I think there are so many so many reasons 
but but I recognise I, I I know it's it's really really difficult um, to do because of when you know the the, the 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 clinical pressures that people are under. So, um, but I guess uh, so it's, you know it, it's it's I think it's down to us to try and keep thinking about how how to make that more possible and to and to and to stimulate more more and more people to to do that. Thank you, John. I really appreciate your time today. It's been great to talk to you. You're welcome. It's been nice. Thanks.